Hey there, welcome out to the backwoods. This is Jeff here with Ben, and today we're talking about the need to not be self-loathing. Uh, before we get started on that, Ben, how you doing, man? Oh, not too bad. Uh, just got back from the Truth Script conference, or I guess retreat that uh, John Harris put on, and it was a lot of fun. Got to meet some guys and uh, just hang out with a, with a bunch of really great guys and um, ate some really great food too. That place was fantastic, uh, but wow. it, was, it was a lot of fun. That sounds wonderful. That was in New York State, is that right? Yep, yep. Upper, I think Upper New York. Okay. Well, bring that stuff south, man. We need to do some of that down here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what we're here to talk about, uh, I've already mentioned, but we're going to be uh, riffing off an American Reformer article by Stephen Peter. And if you go looking for that, he spells his name with an I. So, S T I V E N. And the title of the article is Against the Loser Mentality, subtitle Victory Comes by First Overcoming Evangelical Leadership. And uh, Ben, I got a summary here. If you don't mind me uh, no, go for running it. through it real quick. Yeah. So the article starts with this survey of three new books published aimed to, you know, prey on evangelical spending habits. Andrew Whitehead, who is a first class evangelical betrayer uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention, has a new book out called American Idolatry. Guess what the American Idolatry is, guys? Subtitle, How Christian Nationalism Betrays the Gospel and Threatens the Church. Grab your pearls. <laughs> There's also Caitlin Scheiss's book, The Bible and the Ballot, uh, where she kind of traces through p- American which, political history. <laughs> which the subtitle could probably be Never Vote Republican. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. basically, every time the Bible is used, <laughs> except for the Black Liberation Church, it's clearly a dev- you know, desperate, devastating spiritual evil. But when MLK does it, well, hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, and then pro-sodomy Andy Stanley's book, Not In It to Win It, while choosing sides sidelines the church, as if Andy is not currently choosing the side of the sodomites. Right, right, yeah. What they, so, what they always mean when they tell you that the church shouldn't get involved in these things is that the church should be more left-wing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and so that's really the strength of Stephen's article and why I've been commending it to people. He does a really good job of kind of documenting this. And so there is a section of the article that I think kind of gets at the core of what we want to talk about today. It's It's two paragraphs, so it's a little bit lengthy read, but... I'm going to read it for our listeners. Yep, do it. He says, so a professor, podcaster, and pastor, all within a year of each other, parrot in their own unique way the same loser mentality. And listener, listen to that, loser mentality. In the face of demographic decline and diminished cultural influence, evangelicals should not seek power, but embrace being second-class citizens in their own country. Uh, These authors then seek to justify this loser mentality by claiming that the state of affairs is precisely what the church needs. But these three authors are not unique in purveying this narrative. Stephen says, I chose these specific books for their variety, but I could have just as well chosen Russell Moore's Losing Our Religion, an ultra call for evangelicals, or Evangelical America. Of course, it's Evangelical America. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Van Drunen's Politics After Christendom, and the infamous Kristen Dumez's Jesus and John Wayne. The narrative is the same. You should not hold power. Embrace being an exile. Embrace being a loser. So that's the end of the uh, first paragraph. We're not going to get into this, but he later on kind of does a biblical theology of what exile means, and it's really good. So listeners, go read the, the whole article. Second paragraph, though, from this point, embrace being an exile, embrace being a loser. From this point flow numerous theological rationalizations. How often have you heard, without serious corroboration, that the church flourishes when she's on the margins? Mm-hmm. Uh, how often have you listened to the example of the early Christian martyrs being the, quote, seed of the church as a reason to desire martyrdom? How many mm-hmm. leaders have you seen welcome the decline of, quote, cultural Christianity? Ironically, the appeal of this posture is the acquisition of a certain kind of power. And this is really good from Stephen. They actually are acquiring a certain kind of power with this rhetoric. He says it's the power of acceptability within a secular liberal milieu. Assertive, self-confident, and exclusionary Christianity is a threat to the status quo. Whereas a self-regulating, I would say self-emasculating, whereas self-regulating, so to speak, Christianity 
that has embraced a majority minority status is not. And um, that that's the end of the read. But but reader, what I want you I want you to to see there is that what he's calling the majority minority framing is ultimately evangelicals having to look at themselves and saying, well, we really don't have anything to offer that's worth maintaining. And so we should just give it a shot as uh, as these people who have acquired a kind of pitiful credibility by choosing to be losers. And that, that's what I'm calling self-loathing. Yeah, uh, it, it's <laughs> I just thought of a great metaphor for this. Yeah, um, It's like the guy who uh, gets himself friend zoned by the girl that he's really into by being just a really nice guy to her. Um, and, you know, when when her boyfriend is rude to her, he sits there and just, just, you know, listens to her. And she's like, boy, I just wish I wish that all the guys were like you. I wish I could find a guy like you, but then totally ignores him because he offers nothing. That's the the kind of evangelical that he's describing here. Yeah. OK, so I think I'm going to pivot the title of the episode, if you're OK, into friend zone Christianity. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. I mean, that's that, literally that is Tim Keller. Yeah. And I yeah. don't want to speak ill of the dead. I learned a lot from Tim, but Tim was a pet evangelical yeah. who the New York Times kept in a crate to trot yeah. out whenever they wanted him to say what they wanted to say about evangelicals through an evangelical mouth. Yeah. And his whole thing was, well, but they'll like me. I get to write in the New York Times. Yay. And yeah. you're a friend zone. Yeah, you'll you'll never influence these people. You'll never mean anything to them. They'll just come to you when they want something from you. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that's exactly their their emotional wet blanket. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's. I mean, he's he's absolutely right. Sure, that's that's exactly what these guys are. (laughs) The follow up article really does need to be friend zone Christianity. Uh, You know. (laughs) We're we're the we're the Christians you've always wanted, but never yeah. actually do. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it sort of goes along with the made-to-order man. Sure, the, the, these guys will make themselves into whatever you, you whatever they the world says it wants out of Christianity, and end up offering nothing of reality to them because they've just created this. I like they've molded themselves into the you know the perfect man. For this, for this girl, and she wants nothing to do with it, right? Because she wants something of actual substance. Yeah, yeah. These, uh, I mean, these books are just proliferating left and right. You know, the, um, clearly mm-hmm. there's evangelical money available for you to self-flagellate in front of the post-war consensus and the liberal order, and we're just going to keep getting them. We're going to keep getting them. TGC failed largely to sell the narrative. Uh, Russell yeah. Moore has self-isolated by his unhinged nonsense. Uh, yeah. G3 is joining right in with them. Um, you know, all those groups, except for G3, I'm not willing to say G3 took a check from some, you know, political bad actor, but those first two clearly took a check. David French was part of it. We've talked about this on previous episodes. Um, the project has not worked. And so it looks like now they've pivoted from saying, you know we're gonna we're gonna try to emasculate and uh, neutralize evangelicals, particularly reformed evangelicalism, through these big institutions. Now we're gonna take a shotgun approach yeah. and just every evangelical we can get to publish a book like this or podcast about this, tweet about this. That's how we're gonna do it. And yeah, so far it hasn't the, worked. Have you seen the new Phil Vischer project? Oh no, no. Where where he's rounding up the usual suspects. I'm pretty sure Russell Moore's one of them. Um <laughs> to go on his podcast and tell tell everybody why they're still Christians. <laughs> Doesn't that assume they still are? <laughs> yeah, right. So my my question or my thought was when I saw this is maybe you should uh rename this little, you know, series you're doing How am I still a Christian? because i feel like you have some explaining to do honestly for sure sure. Um, but it's exactly the same thing it's like the the reason they need to answer that question is because based on all of their behavior even they recognize you would assume that they no longer want anything to do with christianity and so they have to kind of explain themselves for sure and and again i don't know that we should buy what i mean look 
man, I really, I, I think I have a reputation for being um, pretty aggressive on Twitter. Uh, you know, not you. <laughs> the guys in the SBC who suck are all kind of hinting around that, you know, if we can't have women pastors, we also can't have mean ones. So we're going to get Jeff Wright out of the SBC. <laughs> um, but I really, I mean, I really take it seriously to identify someone as not a Christian. Yeah. Um, I, I think that is significant. And, uh, you know, I'm a Baptist. And so we take like the invisible nature of the universal church very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is, I want the for the sake of these guys' souls and eternal destiny, I want them to be Christians. And so I, I have a I have a hard time being like clearly Russell Moore's an, an apostate, even when it looks to me like he's clearly an apostate. Yeah, this is also why you know I'm I couldn't be more angry and frustrated and disappointed with Owen Strand, but I've I've spent years and still even as a guy who's angry with him. I'll pick up a an argument to say, yeah, his Trinitarian theology isn't right, but it also isn't heretical. I think maybe we would disagree on that, but I, you know, we've been in those arguments. Yeah, um, that's why I hate seeing it done to Stephen Wolf by Owen Strand, who ought to have enough sense to realize it's a version of what everybody does to him, right? The only problem um, is that Owen doesn't actually know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that that's fair. And again, I'm, I've been the one who's often taken. Uh, uh, of, you know, I, I considered Owen a friend at one time, uh, not mm-hmm. someone I knew well, but a friend. Um, but but the point being, I just am really reluctant to say you're not a Christian. But right. these guys have done everything except Derek Webb level. I'm putting on a dress and I'm coming out to tell you the church sucks and I'm no longer a Christian. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm with you on that. Like I have that same desire. Like, you know, I always talk about I have a very big tent for who I think is in the faith, but, you know, a, a small tent for who I think is theologically correct. But when you have these people who are, it's almost, a, well, this this might make what I'm about to say even more controversial if I don't use this as the example. But it's almost a form of no enemies to the right, where when I see someone clearly aligning themselves with my like the people who hate Christ and hate his church yeah. and lobbing grenades at the church. That's kind of, that's kind of a, a wall for me where I'm like, okay, you've crossed the line. Maybe, maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're a believer deep down somewhere. Maybe you're, you know, just lot who vexed his righteous soul in Sodom every day, but I'm, I don't need to consider you one. Like you're not on my team. Yeah, man. I mean, here again, Ben, we think very much alike. Scripture has tests for who is and is not part of the faith. I'm increasingly, you know, as I look over church history, I feel like I'm justified in this. I'm increasingly thinking that we shouldn't see those scriptural tests as exhaustive. And in our right. day, sort of loving the 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 kind of Christian who gets up every Sunday and goes to church, probably goes back Sunday night, probably goes Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. When you attack those people, Every alarm bell I have goes off that this person, I mean, how, how are you in, how are you walking with Christ if you hate his bride, right? Right. And then on the far side of that, uh, a guy like Oliver Anthony, who is on Joe Rogan's podcast and chooses to use his time reading the book of Proverbs to him and telling him about how it changed his life. Mm-hmm. Now that guy's going to have all kinds of problems. and. I'm sure the uh, inner ring has come from for him already multiple times. Yeah. But I'm like, you know what? I think there's enough of standing against the tremendous cultural winds to despise just normal Christians that this guy's probably actually converted, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, the the aim here is to encourage backwoods believers to to not be self-loathing and to encourage others that they are in some kind of uh, relationship with to not be self-loathing. And so I came up, Ben, and you tell me which one of these you want to talk about. I came up with four groups that I'm a part of that are clearly (laughs) self-loathing, okay? Uh And I don't know if this is in any order of importance, except this is the, you know, this first one's probably the least important. One, I'm a country music fan. (laughs) And the way you, we you say know, you say least important, and I feel like that can't be true. But go on. Well, I, you know, eventually we're getting to like evangelical. <laughs> um, again, again. <laughs> 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 so, 
So here's how you know country music fans are self-loathing. Uh, we don't fight back when the dominant country music radio stations and you know institutions try to turn our uh, our superior form of American folk music into something that's indistinguishable from Katy Perry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, that when, you know, there are people you're... out there who still say Taylor Swift is a country music artist uh, should just cause screaming yeah. and yeah. you know. Anyway, go ahead, you know, I, the, I you. you know the song uh, "Murder on Music Row." Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. If you, if, I mean, if you don't know that song, um, who is it? Alan Jackson and uh, is it George Jones? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's uh, okay. it, it'll it'll describe to you the the problem we're talking about, um, but. Uh, the the thing about country music is on the radio today, and this is exactly what you're talking about—the self-loathing thing. You turn you tune into the local hip hop station and the local country station, and you won't be able to tell the difference. Oh, for sure. Like, what for is sure. that? Mm-hmm. What is oh, that? Top Forty or whatever they call that. You know, the pop yeah. music station too. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, we put up with it. You know, these people yeah. still make money. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, you well, for one, you're not allowed to say that's that it's bad because that would make you a racist. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Racism. Well, you you don't you don't want to hear the hip hop remix of North uh, Richmond, North of Richmond. You must be a racist. Yeah, you don't want that sodomite kid talking about country roads. Oh, how big it did. How yeah, you know that's ridiculous. But yeah. that's who we are. We're we're self loathing in that way. Yeah, and I wish we would stop. Uh, this is unique to me. Feel free to. Clown me if you need to, but I'm not self-loathing, so I might push back. <laughs> Southerners. Um, yeah, yeah, it, I can see it. Yeah, I mean, every, you know, we put up with every mm-hmm. stereotype. Uh, we let people act like our accent makes us sound stupid when things like Brooklyn cabbies exist, uh-huh. Boston Southies exist, right? Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying yeah. to, like, assign that to them, but I'm like, Guys, mm-hmm. listen to various accents. The we're you know we're not losing the, uh, yeah. on that front. <laughs> yeah. The the thing that clued me in on this, and guys, I just cannot tell you how despicable I think this is. My sense of how despicable this is is probably way disproportionate to how offensive it is. But this is just one of the reasons I have no use for this guy. Uh, several years ago, somebody told me J.D. Greer hired a voice coach to help him get rid of his Southern accent. And so here's what I want to hire. I want to uh, hire a Christian coach to help me get rid of J.D. Greer. <laughs> yeah. Any any influence on my speech that J.D. Greer has had, I would like it to be removed. Yeah, or just the faith, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. society, um, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And this is this is a really good one because uh, you see this with guys on social media all the time. I'm going to name some people. Um, Stephen Wedgworth has white guilt coming out of his pores. Oh, right. Like he right. just. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to speak too strongly, but it it seems as though he despises the fact that he is was born a southerner. Yep. And yeah, uh, I, and spends a lot of time apologizing for it. Yep. Um, that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Miles Smith. <laughs> Miles. Very, very similar. Was, you know. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that guy wakes up one day and he's okay, and the next day he wakes up and he's Buster <laughs> Roberts. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. Does it need to be on meds? <laughs> we need mood stabilizers here. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know. I don't know if you caught the the little dust up that happened. I I guess just today and yesterday, where AD posted a thing about that guy wearing the hoodie and the blazer at the same time, and said that he looks like he has a lot of white guilt. Did you see? <laughs> did. did you see any of this like on the back end? And I just to John, <laughs> that guy's name is John Root, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Root is the first G three guy to handle something like that well. I know he, it was hilarious, and I I love. Well, at first he got a little he got a little upset about it, but then once he realized what was happening, he took it very well, and I appreciated that. So yeah, if I started ever- following him on Twitter over it. You know, I was like, "Good job, John. You, you yeah. need to be coaching these guys on anti fragility." <laughs> For real, <laughs> but I mean, why do you think that Owen Strain has become a like has taught himself to freestyle rap and has a video on YouTube of him 
rapping a rap song about like wokeness. Well, it's it's not because that, he feels real comfortable with, with his. <laughs> that's it, the, the the it's not because he's real comfortable with his own culture sure. and loves who he is and who his fathers were. Right, right. You know, I get that hip hop sort of became something like what rock was in the seventies. Yeah, it was a way to be like this is authentic. It's street culture. It's hard, mm-hmm. hard one, right? Yeah. But that you know, to make all things tie together, that's country music too. But mm-hmm. um, Owen's yeah, not. Yeah. yeah, go on. Just Owen's not recording a country song now. You know, uh, Dusty Devers did, uh, and I'm <laughs> bless him for it. But yeah, yes. I think that's a giveaway. It's a giveaway of where you think where, where you think cool can be found is a pretty reliable indicator of where your heart is oriented. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, this is going to get us into trouble, so just oh, be, be prepared for that. I think there are actually a lot of similarities between hip-hop and country music. Yep, They're both very rooted in a specific culture, mm-hmm. very rooted in specific lifestyles. The mm-hmm. difference is that the country lifestyle and culture is just way better right. than the hip-hop lifestyle and culture. Right. right. And so it's a way better form of music. Yeah. And if if that does freak out someone who's listening, guys, the whole point here is to not be self-loathing. I, I legitimately think Southerners, while not perfect, have the best culture, all things considered, at least in the ones that I have encountered in this globalist day. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm gonna interpret that as Appalachian, so yeah, I'll include it's myself in Appalachian. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Now, here's the thing: I'm um, we're really gonna get in trouble here, but I'm. You know, I'm kind of in the foothills. And so there is the agrarian side of Southern culture here. Yeah. And the Appalachian mountain culture. Yeah. And I actually think the synthesis of both is, uh, I just think it's delightful because you have the the sort of Protestant work ethic that made a people carve a living out of soil in the Appalachian mountains that, you know, is not, it's not willing to accommodate them, but they... They did what they could, right? They they gave us the fiddle. They helped refine the banjo, uh, which, you know, to talk about, like, where things overlap, the idea that Southerners are all these inheritors of uh, slave owners and whatnot, working class white people learn the banjo from their basically social peers, slaves, right? You know, you got dirt yeah. farmers who... <laughs> Right. Are serious, are better off than slaves for sure, but they're certainly not the plantation owners. You know, getting fat off the labor, they're they're in the dirt next to them. Yeah. Speaking um, of guys who swing from good to bad depending on what day it is, Anthony Bl- Bradley has written some oh, really yeah. good stuff about this exact yes. thing. Yes. I mean, yeah. The, he's the, like the miles poor, the poor yeah the poor whites in that time period were basically the same social class as the slaves like they were scum right exactly but there's also so you have that like hardcore we're gonna make it no matter what it takes mentality Mm -hmm. uh combined with a people who have been significantly impacted by christianity and so i'm i'm always running in you know because i'm living through the great sword i'm always running into new californians and new arizonians and uh new oregonian neighbors and they're all like, man, it's wild how nice people are here. And the reason that we're nice is because over, you know, centuries now, Christ's command to love your neighbor filtered down to the way that we will say hi. We feel a burden to say hello to someone we pass rather than yeah. sort of ignore them as we walk by. And I'm supposed to pretend like that's a bad thing. I'm supposed to pretend right. like it's better to be in New York and don't know the neighbor I share a wall with. Screw, screw that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, here, I tell you what, I'm going to flip these two because I think one we may disagree on. And we probably don't want to spend a ton of time on, but Baptists are also self-loathing. No, I, uh, I actually 100% agree with you. Okay. Um, okay. It's one of the most frustrating things to me about the Baptist Presbyterian interaction is that Baptists don't really seem to want to be Baptists. Yep. Like half the yep. time I'm having a conversation and this hasn't happened in a long time because I've, you know, we've had other things to fight about that are more important, but 
most of the time I would have a conversation with a Baptist back in the day, it would be like spending a whole lot of time with them telling me about how much they love their Presbyterian brothers and, Mm -hmm. you know, how we're so close on so many things. And I'm like, okay, that's great. That's fine. But give me your positive case. Like, why should I want to be a Baptist? Right. And you don't hear a lot of that. And it's it's unfortunate because I think you get a lot of guys who convert from Baptist theology to Presbyterian theology because they can actually feel like they can – not just be respected for the view that they hold, but they feel like they don't have to be embarrassed by it. Um, well, then, Ben, we agree much more than I thought we did. Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm that is exactly right on with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, I, I mean, I think they're wrong. Don't get me wrong. I do sure. think that. But I, it's like, if you're going to be a Baptist, man, be proud of it. Like, yep. yep. Know why you are. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, man, I, I completely agree. Now, I do have a theory on this one that's a little bit more charitable. And I think, you know, I'm just going to lay this out there. I do think I, I run into Presbyterians. I'm not going to name them here, but, you know, we could do that. And you would know I'm talking about who are very yeah. condescending and very. Oh, yeah. I likely scary. agree with you about yeah. this, too. So, yeah. Um, and I think on. here's what it comes from. Baptists who are in the Reformed tradition have to read magisterial guys, right? Like, Because yeah. that's the history of the tradition. That was the institutional power of the tradition. So we're going to read Bovink and we're going to read the, you know, uh, Melanchthon and those guys. Yeah. yeah. But there's nothing Her- inherent. Within- Calvin. Right. Right. Yeah. There's nothing inherent within Presbyterian that has to come over and read the Baptists. Right. And they, uh, you know, modern Presbyterians, if they're not thoughtful, inherit this kind of, I mean, I think I can defend this historically, this error uh, that ended up becoming a rhetorical trick for the magisterials to call anything they didn't like anabaptism. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gets handed down like, well, they're all just kind of anabaptists, you know, they they all kind of suck. Everything's basically 10 minutes from Munster, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and, I mean, you see that with the, the Scott Clark attempt to address 1689 federalism. Sure. Was a complete embarrassment because he he didn't know what he was talking about. He did the the very thing you're describing, where he just chalked it all up as Anabaptism, mm-hmm. and it was it was just embarrassing for a guy who was like a historical theologian. Yeah, well, he's he's quite good at being embarrassing for a historical theologian. So anyway, I'm I'm with Tom Nettles. Uh, Tom Nettles says Baptists have as uh, rich a history. Now it's it's not as long, I, you know. I'll grant that, but as rich a history as our Presbyterian brothers, we just don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if God ever drops a ton of money in my lap to do a PhD, I'm going to do something in the intersection of Baptist history and theology, you know, because yeah. we need more of that. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things I appreciate about, like, say, uh, Sam Renahan. Uh-huh. Yeah, me too. He, he's he's been doing, doing that work, um, yeah. and I appreciate that. But not even just the Reformed Baptists, but Baptists in general, I think, have this sort of, like, we're the redheaded stepchild no one's going to take us seriously. And I mean, I mean, it's, it's, and actually you could probably make the argument that it's very similar to the country music and Southerner because those things are often, all three of those things are often intertwined with each other. For sure. The Venn diagram um, is tight. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, he's just a dumb hick Baptist. And a lot of guys don't want to be seen that way. They want to be seen like they're educated and smart and academic. And the place to be when you're those things is, you know, Presbyterianism Anglicanism or even Roman uh, Roman Catholic, like yeah, you want to be, some you be accepted like, in the halls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the weird guys are going to be like, oh, or Eastern Orthodoxy, but you just laid it out, and it's interesting too. That's actually kind of a trajectory. So, like um, Stephen Wedgworth, who you mentioned earlier, right? Yeah, self-loathing yeah. realizes, oh, the Southern Presbyterians exist. Um, Dabney is a thing. So what does he do? Runs off to Anglicanism with Beth Moore and Russ Moore, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just, if I recall, if I recall correctly, I don't know where he came from before this, but he started out in the CREC, at least as far as as far back as my history goes. There may be more before that. Um, and was, you know, tight with Doug Wilson. Then, you know, that becomes problematic. So he goes to the PCA. And then I I I don't know what the the move from PCA to Anglican was precedented by, but I'm assuming it was what you just said. 
but it looked I don't, to me I don't, for I don't all the world like, for, yeah, I don't know that for sure, but yeah, it, it looks I'm just that way. Comment on it as an outside observer, it looked to me like he had no desire, no stomach, no spine to deal with either Tisby or Greg Johnson, mm. and just bailed to Anglicanism. Uh, so that's going to be my operating theory. Yeah. So anyway, um, so that's that, the first three. Yeah, and then the 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 last one. This is really where we need to just spend some time encouraging our listeners. It's evangelicals, mm-hmm. um, and and so here on my notes, what I said is evangelicals as a self loathing group should remember that they are the best hope for our nation. And if God forbid someone like Samuel James or whoever hears one of these episodes, it's at this point that he will fall on the fainting couch because he's going to go, oh, it's all political. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason they're the best hope for our nation is because they are a people of the word who still a significant number of them uh, have a clear gospel and a clear commitment of loyalty to Christ, even if it's unfashionable. Yeah. And, they're the and it turns, of people- out, t- turns out they're the lone bulwark against moral insanity in our nation. Well, and see that that is such a test case for this um, this right. example, right? Yeah, Stephen Wolf tweets that he's not wrong because he's talking about a voting block. Yeah, if you can't see that evangelicals as a voting block were targeted for dissolution by progressives like a George Soros because we were seen as the ones who ushered Donald Trump into the presidency. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can see the sun rising in the morning. Yeah. Which is hilarious because the exact same people who hated on him saying that were the people who were reposting the 84% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. How horrible. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. well, okay, so you recognize the statistic is true. Yes. <laughs> yes. And we're the voting block that opposes abortion. And we're, yeah. you know, I say we're the voting block. We're the, I should be clear about this. We are the numerically significant voting block. Right. And in a, in a republic that matters, that numerically significant descriptor matters. Yeah. Are there Christians in the black church who vote against abortion? Yes. Right. Yes. They of are course. not numerically significant. Right. Are our Asian brothers joining us in that? Absolutely. And probably at a greater percentage uh, of the whole, even then, you know, evangelicals, uh, yeah. and particularly white evangelicals. But nonetheless, it's the numerically significant issue. And right. that was clear from what Wolf tweeted. You, the only way you can miss that is if you assume he's a demon and try to find a, you know, a brain dead reading of the tweet because yeah. you want to demonize him. Yeah. I think another aspect of the the self-loathing of evangelicals goes back to that quote we've shared pre- pretty much on every single episode of the show. The You said you heard it from W.A. Criswell first, I think. Mm-hmm. The, the evangelical is the one who says to the, uh, to the liberal, I'll call you a Christian if you call me a scholar. Right. And I, I think that's the one of the, the deep-seated self-loathing evangelical things is, in fact— just like that Venn diagram continues to be very tight. They're seen as the stupid, the mm-hmm. the redneck, the hickish. You know, they're just dumb evangelicals, and they really want respect. They really want to be come, seen. Yeah. It will come from every rhetorical angle. You're just brainless sheep who follow Donald Trump. You're just mm-hmm. brainless sheep who believe this ancient book that was you know, written on behalf of a, a Jewish carpenter. Like, it, it's always this narrative of, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're either inbred or like 10 steps away from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so my encouragement to listeners from this is to be done with it entirely. Mm-hmm. I, my encouragement is, particularly with the evangelical thing. Now, I'm, you know, country music fan, Southerner. Baptist, y'all do it too. Stand up straight, yep. puff your chest out, yep. and anytime you run into this, laugh in their face. Yeah, and, and and here's where it comes from. Here's specifically where I think the antidote of self loathing is. It is to appreciate the good gifts that Christ has given your tradition. 
and refuse mm-hmm. to be embarrassed of a gift that Christ has given you. Yeah. Are you dumb enough to believe the Bible? Thank God that Christ did that work in your life. Yeah. Are you dumb enough to despise the scorn of the world because it offers you uh, acceptability if you'll just put away your loyalty to Christ? Thank God that you don't have the stomach to do that. That mm-hmm. is a gift. And in a place, I really do think from a place of hum- humility and gratitude, you look at somebody who's telling you the church is full of racists and chemists and, oh my gosh, they're, they're devoted to Donald Trump and they're political idolaters, and you stand up straight, puff your chest out, and say, thank you, Christ, for your gifts. And yeah. just keep trucking, man. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think that that's all excellent advice and it reminds me of uh something that ad robles 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 said at uh the conference we were at he did a little talk on kind of like the same topic he did when we he was on the podcast with us the like jolly culture warring sort of thing Mm -hmm. and one of the things that he mentioned was one of the important aspects of being able to remain joyful despite all of the things going on around you is not to take yourself so seriously. And I think coming into this conversation, if I'm thinking about it, the Presbyterians especially have the opposite problem of like, they're not exactly self-loathing. They they're kind of high on themselves. Mm. And I think the, the antidote to that they need is, Hey, don't take yourself so seriously. Like, yeah, the world might be accepting your academic prowess today, but there's going to come a day if you don't continue down the path of compromise that they're going to lock you up to and call you a dumb fundamentalist. Yep. And, and so maybe, you know, get out ahead of it. Don't take yourself so seriously. Don't consider the the accolades of the world so valuable that you're willing to uh, despise Christ to receive them. Amen, brother. Yeah, Amen. and and maybe consider that the guy who's being called a dumb Baptist today, and that you're joining the world and pointing at and laughing at because he doesn't have the right, you know, systematic theological, uh, whatever, down in the same technical way that you do. You're going to be sitting beside him for eternity, and the guy you're standing beside laughing at him with is going to be damned. That's good, man. That's good. You know. Here's the thing that I would kind of tack on to that is just go spend time with those kind of people. Spend time with the kind of people we talked about earlier where that Venn diagram is so tight. Yeah. Go spend time with people who go to church every Sunday and think it's important to their life. Yeah. And as you're sitting around with them, ask yourself, is there anybody in the world you'd rather live your life with? You know, now I'm guilty of this. Like I thought my dad as a third generation farmer was someone I needed to rise above because he couldn't parse Greek. I've said that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I like being in the company of scholars. I enjoy those conversations too. But the thing that I enjoy about the company of scholars is actually the the kind of company. uh, It's what I enjoy about the company of farmers too. Everything they're doing is an expression of honor to Christ who they are grateful to have received grace from. And so, you know, when when freaking Phil Vischer or Kristen Dumez or Andrew Whitehead is writing some book and it comes across your radar, um, do a couple things. Again, I've talked to you about it already. Just thank God for the gifts that he's given you in Christ, that you were not allowed to turn out like those people. Andrew Whitehead, Kristen Dumez, Russell Moore. Thank God that he preserved you from that. Yeah, that isn't pride. That is humble thankfulness that God has kept you from wickedness. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and in fact, one thing you said, you were talking about earlier, and I wanted to mention, um, you were talking about not despising the or being embarrassed by the gifts that Christ has given you. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of truth to that, and um, it, we we do it in a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. when we hate, you know, our fathers. Yes. Or the people or place that we came from, yes. Or the you know the gospel that we were given from a young age. That's a simple you know 
Jesus died for your sins and will take you to heaven when you die, when we despise those things, we're actually sinning against God because he gave us those things. Amen. It's a fifth commandment violation and it tracks all the way up to the person who puts you in that family line. Yeah. That is well said, sir. Um, The other thing I was going to attack on there. So you see somebody doing that. Thank God that Christ has not let you become that kind of person. Second, say, look for a chance to say something about how awesome that group is in public. In this, if you can say it in the same space where the criticism was found, just take 10 minutes and be like, I'm really thankful that I'm part of this group or whatever else it is. And third, yeah. think about the next time you're going to hang out with that kind of person and anticipate that with joy. Yeah. Um, and, and let those things be a kind of liturgy for you where... Uh, Lord willing, it will inoculate you against the fashionable criticisms from lesser men and lesser Christians uh, attacking better things because they are in service to the spirit of the age. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. One thing I noticed as I was reading through those paragraphs <clears throat> that you read, he, he mentions, uh, how often has you listened to the example of the early Christian martyrs being the seed of the church? as the reason to desire martyrdom. And it's funny because my wife and I have talked about this passage, or not this passage, but the saying a lot. And the thing that I keep coming back to is, well, the church isn't a seed anymore. Mm. Like it's been, it's been well growing said. for 2000 years. Like, yes. We don't need, we don't need to water the seed anymore. It's like a tree that has grown up that the birds, the air can nest in. Right. Yeah. And we're, we're in the, at least the sapling phase at this point, if not further along. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that is good, brother. That's really like the, good. The church has already been planted. So becoming a martyr. I mean, yeah, there, there is some uh, value in that if that's what the Lord has in store for you. But it's not like we need to be like those people in the, and they were even foolish when they did it in the early church. And, you know, the examples I'm talking about of these Christians who would intentionally, like, uh, be annoying to Rome so that they could be martyred. Or would try to go to a place where persecution had broke out and the bishops were like, stop, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Being suicidal for the faith is not like a virtue. Absolutely right. That you yeah. have this perverted piety if you think that's the, the yeah. right out. But here's here's what I I learned in high school because I was a hypocrite and I ran with hypocrite Christians. And one time, a young lady who lived a very immoral lifestyle along with me said, "You know, we're we're of the generation that Columbine was living memory for us." Yeah. And she said, "I think I could die for Christ. I think honestly, if someone put a gun to my head and said, um, you know." Do you love Christ? If you answer yes, I'm going to kill you. She said, I think I could do that. And what God and his grace kind of light bulbed me in that moment is, yeah, there's a kind of person for whom dying is not the challenge. It's making daily decisions to live for him in a way that costs you self-gratification, that costs you the applause of your peers, costs you, you know, comfort in some fashion. That's actually the, the difficulty for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's real easy to make the the one moment decision that you know is going to be, you know, kind of give you some glory as well. And you're going to go down in history because you, you know, refuse to. Theoretically, it is, right? Yeah. I mean, right. Like you refuse to tell the Muslim that you were going to reject Christ and he chops your head off on TV. Like that's real romantic. Mm -hmm. But uh, not so much when it's a daily decision to just be obedient to Christ. Yeah, and just, you know, listen to every cultural institution tell you how you're the scum of the earth. Yeah. That, there's, a, there's an erosion effect there that the, uh, the one-time martyrdom, it's just a different kind of temptation. And it apparently is very effective. Because yeah. that's the play that gave us the exvangelical phenomenon, right? Go on. Well, Ben, um, I guess I'm kind of... I'm kind of. Uh, I wanted you. To, I wanted you to say more about that being the play that uh, created the exvangelical. Say more about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do think there's a group of people out there. Again, I'm going to go to Derek Webb. Derek Webb's a pretty easy example of this, right? Mm-hmm. Derek Webb was always sort of a countercultural sort of person. Um, that's why I think he was quick to come to reform theology before 
you know, he was like at the minimum yeah. of vanguard of the young, restless, and reformed, right? Yeah. So that was his way to be edgy. But he wanted to have sex with someone who he wasn't married to. And he, he was happy to destroy his family. And rather than deal with um, self-control to 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 deny himself, you know, he they he made a big production of how like they're moving to this economically distressed neighborhood because he wants to live with the kind of people that Christ would love and give his life with, right? That was that was something he could do. But what he couldn't do was keep it in his pants when he was yeah. a married man and a husband. And so what really wore him down was his libido and what he what he can't do is do the hard work of saying, yeah, I destroyed my household because I'm an unself-controlled man. I, I, can, I can receive an, an appropriate chastisement um, from the church as part of my restoration process. I'll also be scorned by the world for doing so. So the cope he embraces is I'll put a dress on and get on uh, a CD cover with a drag queen. And I'll have all the world cheering me on as a hero. Yeah. And he's he's just sort of a test case for this idea that, I, you know, if I wake up every day knowing that the people who share my deepest commitments, I'm going to be told by the educational establishment, legacy media, uh, the government in every phase, uh, high-profile church leaders are supposed to be part of kind of my, my tribe, that we're all the worst thing in the world. Um, that's going to grind on you. Mm-hmm. And that is going to work like wind and rain on a rock surface to chip away. Whereas if somebody showed up in the morning after you just got done doing your quiet time and put a gun to your head, like you already described and said, either renounce Christ or die, you know, you actually might make the right decision there. Now yeah. I've not been there. I'm not going to minimize what it takes. You know, there were, Years the last probably the last time I agreed with Russell Moore. I don't know if you remember Ben. There were um, Coptic Christians. I think there were yep. four of them taken out on. Oh a beach. no! It was a bunch. It was more than four. It was a bunch. Okay. Well, There's I think than, I, uh, over over ten. I think. Okay. And these Muslims put them on a beach, and yep, they. I remember. Yeah. They wanted to renounce Christ. They wouldn't, so they executed them there with machetes. And there was a group on Twitter who started immediately being like, "Well, but you know the." The Coptic Church has some real doctrinal problems. They may be, you know, maybe they're they're heretics. These people may not have died in the faith. Yeah. And Russ Moore said, "Listen, if you're willing to die uh, for Christ, and the last thing that's on your lips is the name of Christ, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt." Right. Um, so I don't want to minimize that at all. I, I'm with him on that. Yeah. But you also have to have that category of: Can I get up every day and live in the? Uh, the objective room from that hideous strength and maintain loyalty to Christ. Um, there, there's a whole class of evangelicals who just can't do that. Yeah. Or a guy like Wedgworth, not to make him the whipping boy, but who's just going to constantly live on retreat. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if the spirit of Christ doesn't prevent it, Wedge is going to end up Unitarian Universalist, enjoying the trappings of religion without any doctrinal, ethical, or uh, saving substance. And I don't, I don't suspect that of him. I'm not rooting for that for him. But I'm telling you, that, I mean, that's what the train is. If right. you're always running away from the criticism of the spirit of the age, it eventually Event- pushes you where it wants you to go. Yeah, and eventually pushes you out outside the faith. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, and all the theological qualifications that would reveal you were never in. You know, we're not. You know, we're not throwing mm-hmm. away the reformed teaching on uh, the perseverance of the saints. But nonetheless, this is what it looks like. Yeah. And that strategy has proven pretty effective in, uh, you know, in the hooves of the devil. Yeah. And in fact, that's probably the most heinous thing about these, you know, Russ Moore, uh, Kristen Dumez and uh, Van Drunen and um, who's the other one he names? Oh, uh, that that podcast. Oh, Whitehead or something. Oh, well, Andrew Whitehead, yeah, him yeah, for yeah. sure. The, the most heinous thing about these people and Phil Vischer and all of the, the court evangelicals is that they are doing real damage to real people's souls. Yep. Like, yep. you know, They're if they want to damn themselves to hell, you know, go ahead, whatever. None of my business. Yeah, it's, it's a bad call, but that's your life. But the fact that they are like the Pharisees, not just making themselves children of hell, but making 
they're all of their followers, children of hell as well, is the most tragic thing about it. There are going to be so many people who are deceived by these people and will experience an eternity of torment because of the deception that these people are uh, selling them mm-hmm. is is tragic. An eternal catastrophe, right? A horror. Yeah. And and yeah, we tend to think of the text. And I think it's appropriate, you know, when when Christ says that anyone who hinders one of these little ones, uh, you know, it'd be better mm-hmm. for them to have a millstone. That is true of a literal little one, a young child. Yeah. But you also have to understand that Christ takes a, appropriately a paternalistic approach yeah. to his people. Yeah. And there are discouraged Christians out there who are getting up every day trying to go to work with a woke HR department who's screaming at them about embracing evil. And, um, you know, th- their visceral reaction is to say There's, that's, that's unacceptable. I can't do that. And they plug into some evangelical platform and they hear a version of the same thing scolding them for not going along with it. Um, yeah. That is the kind of millstone that, um, it, uh, again, a Phil Vischer is hanging uh, weights around these people. He's discouraging them. He's hindering the little ones. And, and he's tying a millstone around his own neck. But listener, you don't have to do that. This is a this is a happy episode because you can throw <laughs> your head back, puff your chest out, have a great laugh, and thank God that He has prevented you from becoming someone like Phil Vischer. And listen, it's not arrogant, it's not sinful, it's not uh, a bad thing for you to do that any more than it is to look at a prostitute and say, "Thank God that that's not been uh, the Lord's, you know, the Lord's kept me from that," or a wino on the street, or. Whatever you don't have to, you know, you shouldn't feel a, an ounce of self superiority. You yeah. should feel deeply grateful and yeah. be unembarrassed to be grateful that the yeah. Lord hasn't uh, allowed you to go that route. Yeah, we we've kind of got off on a, a downer there for a minute, but it's true. What what we're talking about here is the fact that you can actually be one grateful for the things that God has given you, whether that's a Southern heritage or a love for country music. Or being a Baptist, I mean, I don't know why, but being a Baptist <laughs> and um, being an evangelical. Now we can have a discussion about the term evangelical, but for the sure. sake of this, sure. for the sake of this conversation, I'm happy to to buy all in on that phrase because self loathing. Mm-hmm. So um, if the if the world's going to call me a dumb evangelical because I believe that the Earth was created in six days and that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, then yeah, I'm a dumb evangelical. What about it? Mm-hmm. Like, Let's see who looks dumb in the long run. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to be ashamed of that. Um, and man, uh, I, we could probably go on for a bit more about this, but I, I'm just now thinking about when I was the self-loathing Christian, um, especially when I was in college. And then sh- shortly after, so when I was 18, I went spent a year in a Bible college in a fundy Bible college. And it was where I sort of had my, my falling away from fundamentalism for a couple of years. And the next five years or so, I was kind of out of church, but still considered myself a Christian and was just working a job and, you know, trying to figure out what was going on in my life. And, uh, man, I was such a self-loathing Christian. It was insane. I was so embarrassed to confess Christ to my coworkers or, like I would, ha- I would have conversations with. I worked in a, a computer store, um, where we sold like parts and did repairs and stuff like that. And one of the guys who I was pretty, pretty good friends with at the time, was like hardcore. It was back when, uh, people still respected, you know, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. Like the the new atheism was still cool, mm-hmm. and and he was really into those guys. And we would get into these arguments. And man, I spent like every day apologizing to him for the crazy conservative Christians. And I look back on that now and I'm like, man, you were such a fool. Yeah. Like you were so yeah. embarrassed. You know, thank God I had the, it, he was hanging on to me enough that I would still make the, my pitiful little arguments. But I just was so ashamed to confess that, yeah, I believe the Bible is the word of God and true without error. And, that that means that the world is, you know, 10,000 years old or whatever, despite all of the, the onslaught of rational scientific evidence you have for me. And I wasted those years. I could have been a much I could have been a much better witness to that guy if I had just been. Yeah, this is what the word of God says, and I'm not going to be ashamed of it. 
And I think if if we could have a takeaway for this episode, that that's what I would say is that, in fact, not being self-loathing is going to be a far better witness and it's going to be far more convincing to the people who oppose you than being a hand-wringing little, you know, twerp like I was. Well, I hate to say yeah in a way that piles on there. <laughs> I just no, think that, I just think that lots of us can identify with that. If it was a yeah. prolonged season or if it was a momentary encounter where you felt ashamed of the gospel, yeah. there is we um we can identify with that. And the the clear message is it is so refreshing to not be that. It is so liberating to say, I'm really thankful for what Christ has given me and I'm unembarrassed yeah. by it. Amen. And that that's the great thing. You don't have to be, because guess what? You're right. Like the, the gospel is right. Christ is right. The word of God is right. You don't have to be ashamed of it because you're the one that's correct. Brother, and you're not correct because of anything within you. Again, right. This, this right. isn't self supporting Yeah, this, it, is, this is not an handed. this is not an invitation to pride either. Mm-hmm. Except in the the good sense of pride. Yes, this is an appropriate mm-hmm. boasting in the gospel. Boasting yes. in the resurrection, boasting in yeah. the goodness of the Lordship of Christ, boasting in your Southern heritage and your love for country music, <laughs> as gifts from Christ, which they are <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, Ben, anything else to add to this, man? Oh, um, I don't think so. I think we pretty well covered the topic. It's a good article, so um, we can put it in the the notes, I guess. Yeah, I have corresponded on Twitter uh, with Stephen a bit. I didn't, um, I didn't take time to set up an interview with him or try to bring him on for this. But I don't know what uh, all we've got in the docket um, for the podcast. But he may be a guy we ought to bring on sometime and just kind of talk it over with. You know, how do you, how do you not let these loser evangelicals hamstring you uh, as an individual who wants to see Christ glorified in all of life? Yeah, and, and thinking about the subtitle of his article, which you mentioned, um, Victory Comes by First Overcoming Evangelical Leadership, that's another one of the the real tragedies, is that the entirety of the top brass of evangelicals are these self-loathing people. Absolutely. Now, th- there is a real quick, they have institutional power, but who are they leading? Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're leading anybody. They do have institutional power, and they have access to. They're, they're leading people power. to the gates of hell, but right, right. <laughs> but actual Christians are every day, yeah, disconnecting and and seeing yep. through this nonsense. So, and that's also another gift from Christ. So, Lord, let it be so. Yeah, Amen. Hey, on that front of what we got coming in the hopper, we got some good feedback when I think you posted through the Backwoods Belief Twitter account about some things you you'd like to hear uh, us talk about in the future. Uh, listener, if you haven't responded to that, uh, we would love to hear what, some things you would like for us to talk about uh, or people yeah. you want us to interview or books you want us to discuss. I uh, can't guarantee you will do it, but I guarantee you we will read it and consider whatever you suggested to us. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always good to hear what people are thinking about because, you know, Jeff and I are well-read, intelligent guys, but uh, we don't know everything. And handsome. So. Don't forget handsome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we would love to hear from you guys um, if you if there's you know some topic we should address. Yeah. All right. Well, then you want to take a one, Yeah. One thing. One thing. I, before I do that, one thing I would love to hear about is you know very early on, I think it was like our second and third episode. We did the uh, listening to the Gavin Ortland that hideous strength thing and kind of reviewing it. And I'd like to hear from people if they liked that kind of thing and would like to hear us do more of like reviewing something that someone else has produced. Um, so if you have a, an opinion on that, either for or against, let us know. Right. But, yeah. You want to nominate something for us to review and interact with. I, I enjoyed yep. the Gavin thing, even if nobody out there did. I don't know <laughs> that nobody out there did, but even I, if they I didn't. Think, I think there are two least listened to two episodes. <laughs> Oh, we, you know, immediately got the feedback of like, brothers, this is unkind to another yeah. Christian brother. And I'm You're like, that's so the mean. point. <laughs> that's exactly what we wanted to do. This guy's a bad guy. Uh, have you listened to anything we've been saying? <laughs> you have managed oh, to pick man. up the obvious message. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we are on Twitter at Backwoods Belief. Um, you can find me on Twitter or Gab at Bendel Wary. Jeff is at Merely J Wright on Twitter and Wright Jeff on Gab. Um, we would love it if you would 
go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. That's helpful. Um, and just, you know, get in touch and let us know what you're thinking. You're here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.